you pray with me? Father God, as we come now to your word, that is our prayer. We thank you for your lavish generosity. This amazing gift that we know. The face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one you purposed from eternity past to send as the hope that we would cling to this morning. There is no greater treasure. There is no greater truth. There is no greater joy in our lives than this great gift of your love in Jesus Christ. Please now, Lord, open our eyes to see him in stunning glory as we dig in these verses and stir in our hearts to love this great gift, your son, our savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Kids, you can be dismissed to go to your class now and uh, if you guys need a Bible, just wave your hand. We're moving through the series on the Trinity that I titled Behold Our God, an exploration of the Trinity. We're on week three of a four-week journey through this, this incredible, mysterious, and yet glorious topic of the Trinity. I remember as a young man, I had all kinds of questions, and uh, I loved to ask questions, but was struggling when I couldn't get answers that seemed to satisfy. And this is one of those areas, right? I mean, there are so many questions that we have here and many answers to be found in the Word, but not all of the answers, or at least not in a way that would fit in our understanding because we are finite creatures. We, we cannot conceive of some of these things of God's greatness in part because we can't fully know Him. But the things that we can know, we can claim and rejoice in and celebrate. And I had such an awesome week digging and studying on all the passages that relate to the Son, the second member of the Godhead. And that is the topic today. I picked the text in John chapter 1 to be kind of our home base uh, area that we spend. And I would just say this, if you haven't recently studied uh, the Gospel of John, or even the first chapter of John, it is, it, it is uh, shallow enough, as they say, for a child to, to play in its wonderful water. I was saved at age five. Gospel was clear and real. Praise the Lord for the simplicity of this book, this Gospel of John, in, it, in its presentation of the Gospel. John 3.16, right? But it's also, as the, uh, the reformers used to say, it's deep enough for an elephant to swim at the same time. This gospel is so rich and uh, was just struck again in the first four verses. It's like a, a volcano of truth and glory to be had. So that's where we're headed today. And uh, I pray that the Lord would, uh, would work and open our eyes in new ways to appreciate the second member of the Godhead, God the Son. So what I want to do is just re remind us this journey. We're, we're discovering in new ways uh, what it means for God to be Trinity. 
a Trinitarian God. Co-equal in essence, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, are, they are one in essence. There is one God. We don't have multiple gods. We're not polytheistic. We are monotheistic. The Scriptures call us to this over and over and over. And yet, within this one God, this, this one essence of godness, there are three distinct persons to discern and understand and glory in and praise. And so, the second member of the Godhead. Here is, it's kind of small, but let me read you the statement of faith on uh, the Son, God the Son. We believe and teach that Jesus Christ is the one and only eternal Son of God, who, in obedience to the Father, humbled himself and became a man. Conceived in the flesh by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, Jesus is fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man, to be most specific. The sinless life of Jesus, his miracles and his teachings culminated in his atoning death on the cross as the substitute sacrifice for sinners. He was buried, was bodily resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven just as the scriptures record. Jesus is the only Savior and Lord, the only mediator between God and man, and he is the head of the church, the heir of all things, as we saw last week, according to the, the, the plan of the Father, the heir of all things, and the judge of the entire world. Presently, Jesus sits at the Father's right hand as the representative, intercessor, and advocate for his people. Jesus will return personally and visibly to this earth to judge the living and the dead at a time appointed by the Father. Now, I hope that some of what we covered last week echoes even in this, right? There's, there's that unity and that co-labor that the Trinity is at work, that God is doing in the plan of redemption. You see that it is the time appointed by the Father. The Father is the one who establishes the plan and the one who sends the Son to accomplish the plan. And then the Spirit, we'll see next week, is given to apply that plan, to, to make it alive and bring it into fruition in our lives. Picture yourself, first of all, the audience of John. John, the one that followed Jesus, right? The beloved. He is writing this as a witness to those who are unsaved in the Jewish community. Okay, so this is an evangelistic work that he sets about to do. The, the letter of 1 John is written to believers. This one targets specifically those who are not yet saved, but who have a Jewish heritage. So he begins this with these words. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now just pause there. If you are a faithful Jew, what does that bring to your mind? In the beginning. We're in Genesis, aren't we? That's where we live. Old Testament reality. In the beginning. Well, I know where he's going already, right? He's going to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. I know exactly where he's headed. But do we? So, in part, to appreciate what John does here, you have to imagine yourself as a Jew who is hearing this evangelistically for the first time. This truth of Jesus. Okay, In the beginning... 
And then he says this, was the word. And all of a sudden, you're scratching your head. Whoa, what? What? What is that? I thought you were going to say God created. In the beginning was the word. Why would John say it like that? What is he communicating to us? The word here is the word in Greek, logos. Good name for a company. Maybe a Bible software thing. Logos. In the beginning was the word. Was the word. Well, who's that? Well, he must just be referring to God, right? That this is just a reference to God. It's another way of saying God. So I see where he's going with this. That's not all he says. Jump forward in the New Testament because sometimes we can understand and appreciate the, the thought process of, of one writer by comparing and contrasting with another writer. And so listen to Hebrews chapter 1. This is how that one begins. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God what? God spoke. He spoke. Now, who, when, it, when he says God, who specifically among Trinity is he referring to? Well, in order to find that out, we continue to read. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he, well, who's the he? He has spoken to us by his son. Okay, there we, now we know. We're, we're talking about the father. So, the father spoke long ago at many times and in many ways. He spoke to our father. He spoke. He communicated. He expressed truth, revealed himself. In those ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son. Now, we know where this is headed. We know that the son, the second member of the Godhead, is Jesus. We know that because of what the scriptures. But if you're Jewish and you're just coming to this for the first time and, and this is how it's unfolding, you don't know that yet. You don't know who the Logos is. So let's continue on in here. In the beginning, John writes, the beginning, before time, anything existed. Before anything, there, there was God. And he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. So, okay, there's some type of synonym, I guess, maybe. And then he says this, and the Word was with God. Now, if you're a faithful Jew, what are you saying at this point? Uh... Well, that doesn't really fly. Because, right? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. One. The Lord your God is one God, right? He is not multiple gods. We don't have more than one God. So what is this that you're saying that the word was in the beginning with God? That's a problem if you're a Jew. And you're, and you're faithful to the teaching of Scripture. You're, you're seeing this. And you, you, you're saying, well, no, I don't think that flies. And then he comes around and says the next line. And he says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, you see what's happened here? We have a Trinitarian explosion of truth that's just happened within the first few lines of John chapter 1. We have... God in the beginning, and we have 
we have the Word, the Logos, and, and we have God together with the Logos. And, and they're with, or most literally, face to face, or toward one another. But at the same time, the Logos is not a God, he is God. So how does that work? There is Trinitarian wonder in these verses. He, the Logos, was in the beginning with God. Now, see the with. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Those words count. It's amazing realities here. So, on display in these verses is exactly where we've been covering up until now. We are seeing the Trinity in their distinction. The Word was with God. What does that mean? That the person of the, the second member of the God had the Son, the Word, was with God. And at the same time, the Word was God. Equality, co-equal, the unity of one God and the distinction of persons on display in John chapter 1. It's awesome. Incredible. Jesus made this clear throughout his ministry. He would say things like this. I and the Father are one. And in response to this, more than once, the Jews who heard him say this picked up stones to stone him to death, to kill him, saying, you make yourself out to be God. That's, that's exactly what Jesus was saying. I am. I am God, and I am one with the Father. So this, this expression of Trinity was difficult for people to conceive of early on. It's one of the reasons that Jesus was so hated. Who do you think you are? Hmm. Now let's continue on. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. Creator, not created. When speaking of the Son of God, it's easy for us to assume that, that He had a beginning. That maybe somehow the Father created the Son as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe. He, he was the first of creation and then maybe then the Son created everything else. But, but He had a beginning? No. Definitely not. Verse 3 and 4, all things were made through him, the Logos. And without him was not anything made that was made. So John just wants to be clear. He says it one way and then he says it another way just to eliminate. He says it by affirmation and then he says it by denial. If it exists, it exists and was created through the Logos. And without him was not anything made that was made. So when you think Genesis chapter 1, and you rewind the tape, and you say, okay, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, uh, and, and then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And uh, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering. There's Trinitarian wonder all over those verses as well. All three members of the Godhead active and at work. But specifically here, it is the Son of God who is the agent of creation. He created all things. So just a pop quiz here. Is there anything 
that was created that was not created through the Son of God. The, the all things kind of removes that, doesn't it? It's, there's, there's nothing. Now, this is before the fall. We're not talking about um, the, the curse and some of the effects of that. We're talking original creation, the good, that the sit back and it's very good. The Son of God made all things. You see this in our call to worship. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation. Now, firstborn does not mean the first created. We, we can jump to that. It means preeminent, the one who is sovereign over all. He is the one that, that in a sense, gave birth to all that is. By Him. The, the, the next verse eliminates a, a wrong understanding of firstborn. For, for by Him all things were created. There's the echo of our John 1. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So angels, who made the angels? The Son of God made the angels. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through the Logos, the Son of God, and for Him. Wow, through and for. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's kind of amazing to consider. This morning, I was going to bring an apple and drop it, kind of like a throwback to the old Newton thing, right? The law of gravity is a law. Why? Because of the sun. He is the one that keeps that gravity functioning in this very moment. Only because of the sun. It's, it's in Him that all things hold together. Wow. Hmm. Here's another view of this. We'll build out Hebrews 1. We've already read the first verse. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. You see how the, so the Father plans it and then creates the world through the Son. Through the Son. He is the Logos. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Oh, those are good verses. Now, just think about this. When you see a sunrise, it's not just the work of God. God is painting. God is displaying His greatness. You can worship even more precisely. It is the work of Jesus, the Son of God. This is His handiwork in creation. He is the Creator and He is the Sustainer, the Son of God. Wow. It's too glorious not to have at least a few just pointers who made that fish? My friends, look at that. Look at the blue that just glows on the bottom fin. And look at the, oh, the scale thing happening there. I don't know if you can see, but up here on his nose, it's glowing. Jesus did that. You see that? That's his fish. The Son of God. It exists for His glory. 
It's, it's from him and for him. Isn't it amazing that we can see with, with that care the, the, the work of God? So when you praise him, you can praise even specifically the Son of God for his handiwork in creation. Had a little bird just, just like this on our bird feeder. Cute little guy, and I just can't help but think. So you have all of these animals created by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Oh, I love these little birds. You know, one of the things I'm so excited about new heavens and new earth is that birds won't be afraid anymore. I, they're so scared. I just want to go give them a hug. You know, they just fly away. These things, the colors in the sky. Gracie, when she was little, she used to look up at the sky and say, God's painting. God's painting again. It's so true. The glory of Christ on display in creation. Thunder clouds. We don't get a lot of lightning or thunder around here, but boy, I love a good thunderstorm. To be reminded with earth-shaking power of God. The redwood trees down in California, who made them, who is glorified by their ancient bones that withstand the test of time. The sun is. The mountains, just as we sang, the valleys, the plains, it's all His glory. It's His doing. And the stars. This is a place that we are just amazed by. We don't look up enough Friends, we really don't. But we need to look up more and just pause. Turn off the tablets and the phones and just take in the stars. Here's a picture that I know I've, I showed you this a while ago, but this is a deep range, um, long exposure photograph from the Hubble telescope years ago. And you, from a distance, they look like stars, don't they? You know what those are? galaxies those are galaxies we're in the milky way but do you see the spin here on that that's a galaxy and that's a galaxy and that's a galaxy that is mind-blowing all in one little frame they thought it was just black and dark so they left it there on accident and that's what they found amazing the creator and the sustainer of all of creation. We know Him. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. In verse 4, John writes this, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him, the logos, was life, and the, the life was the light of men. What does this mean? What does this life imply for us? Well, to, to correct those who would exchange the glory of God for images made to look like man and birds and reptiles. To, to, to worship and serve creation rather than the Creator. To, to give clarity to this. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You watch a science show, you see this wonder and this awe and this this glory of God everywhere, and then you hear the story they fabricate to make up how it came into being. It takes way more faith, my friends, to believe that. Here's what is true. Did matter give rise to life? 
Is that what this verse says? Let me just show you this. In him was life. So is it that matter gives rise to life through some comet that pounds into Mexico and digs a deep thing and then all of a sudden some slime ball crawls up on the beach and decides to become an ape and then a man? Who comes up with this stuff? This is what this says. Life gave rise to matter. The Son had life. In Him was life. And then He said, let there be. And from nothing He made all that is. Ex nihilo. It's way simpler. Way simpler than to imagine that given enough time and randomness that all of this came to be. That is way more faith than I would ever have. It's a religion, though. And it is propagated at the highest institution of our day. And it is brainwashing generation upon generation. Don't fall for it. It is fool talk. It's foolish. This is real. This is right. This is true. And this is glory. Why do you think Satan hates creation so much? He hates to think that there's any glory to be ascribed to the one who made it because it's Christ who made it. The same Jesus who died and disarmed him. He hates it. And he wants to undermine it at every turn. And so we, we, we say with joy, we see what is and it's real and it's true and it's simple. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. But we say that with great care because fool talk is, is, is propagated by those who haven't tasted the same grace that we have. And if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be propagating the same foolishness. So we stand and we delight and we glorify God and we say, Lord, open their eyes to see what we see when we witness the wonder of your creation. Show your grace. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the one who blinds them to the glory of Christ. Physical life in him was life. And the life was the light of men. That means that when Adam and Eve were, were given the spirit of life, that flowed from God and it came through Christ. That was the, the work of, of the Son. To give life. But there's more than just that in view. And that's, it's obvious as you read the Gospel of John. It's not just physical life, is it? He is the hope of all sinners. Spiritual life is found where? In the face of Jesus Christ. And that's the only place that sinners can run and find forgiveness and life and light and joy. Eternal life. The kind that death cannot touch. So creation and redemption, we have a focal point. The Son, the Logos, Jesus Christ. Now, the glory of the God-man. Let's skip down to verse 14 through 17 because, well, for the sake of time, number one, but, but secondly, we need to see there's something that happened because the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, uh, 
created, and according to the plan, the Son had to be sent. And we know the Christmas story well. This is a version of the Christmas story without the manger and without the wise men and and Joseph and Mary. It's the same thing, though, isn't it? This is the Christmas story. The sending of the Son. Look at this, verse 14. And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15 is fascinating. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom uh, I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. Now, just consider this. This is John the Baptist talking, and he's saying, I'm talking about the Logos here. He is a rank above me. Why? Uh, Because he was before me. And if you know the story of John the Baptist, you're well aware that John was conceived six months before Jesus. So there's something happening here even in this. He was before me. I don't, I'm not even worthy to, to untie the sandal of this one who is to come. I'm just here to prepare the way. Why would he say he was before me? Because he's saying Jesus is the Son. He's the Son of God. The second member of the Trinity. And then to clarify, just to be clear, John, John brings us the answer. Who is the Logos? From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's the Logos. He's the Word. The Incarnation. This is the the story of Christmas that culminates at Easter that we just celebrated. The work of Christ. The Incarnation, that word we, we use, I don't want it to just be a church word for you. I want it to mean something. Incarnate Son of God. He is God the Son in the flesh, or incarnate, incarnate, the flesh. The Son of God took upon Himself the mission of the Father. And He humbled Himself to be made like that which He made. To enter what He had created and in humbly live in that way, depending upon the Holy Spirit. Setting aside the use of His full divinity, He was depending upon the Spirit as an example of how we are too as well. Knowing our weakness, tempted and tried, yet without sin. Mission accomplished, friends. We have a Jesus who lived that life that we are called to, but can't on our own. J.I. Packer says, here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of the Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus Christ. You see why this is so complex? Not only do we have three in one, one and three in the Trinity, now we have the second member of the Godhead taking upon himself humanity. Do you realize that the incarnation was an eternal incarnation, an everlasting incarnation. Jesus has a body right now, a glorified body. He is the first fruits of those who've been raised from the dead. 
And he is returning bodily. Just, he says, just as I have left, so I will return. The Son of God added humanity to his deity. Oh, this is a mystery. This is complex. This is difficult for us to conceive. Some say, no, that's not possible. Everything that's physical is evil and corrupt. There's, there's no way that God could truly be human, be a man. We would say, no, we reject that philosophy. He was truly a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, born in the flesh. Colossians 2, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The Son did not cease to be God when he became a man. He continued to be truly God, and he added to his divinity humanity, such that he was born truly a man, and at the same time, God. He laid aside the use of uh, much of that divinity. For example, his reliance upon the Spirit, uh, praying to the Father, constantly communing with Him. Think of this. That makes sense, doesn't it? Why did Jesus always go away and seek a, a solitary place? Because from eternity past, that's what they did. The Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect communion with one another. And Jesus, in taking upon the flesh, was experiencing a a dependence upon the Spirit and, and a praying to the Father with that humanity. Incredible. Hebrews 1, 3a, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, such that Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wow. And at that, they probably picked up the stones and said, who do you think you are? He came humbly to seek and save the lost. He came to lay down his life, the suffering servant. But he will come differently when he returns, won't he? He will come the conquering king to crush all opposition and cast all who do not look to him as Savior and Lord into eternal fire. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Hmm. Now, I want to close by just drawing our attention to these two realities. When you think about Jesus, when you think about the Son of God, there's two pieces that are very important to see. The person and the work. The person of Jesus and the work. By person, I mean who is He? Who is Jesus? The Scripture calls us over and over to this reality. He is God. He's the Son of God. A real man and his work completed for us. Sinless life, atoning death, victorious resurrection, ascension to the Father, and promised return. All of this, our greatest hope in this life and the next. I was with a group of people years ago who spent a lot of time talking about this. Uh, th they wanted to live the way of Jesus. And I, this was new to me. Uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. That's a good idea. Why are we talking about it like that? The way of Jesus. Well, I began to understand after a little while that they were 
focusing a lot upon the, the way that Jesus lived, but not as much on who he was and what he did, why he came, the gospel. Now, here's the thing. I love WWJD. If you still have your bracelet on after all these years, you are to be commended, okay? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this interaction, in this moment? What would you, that's a good thing for Christians to be asking. However, it's not what would Jesus do as a good man, a moral teacher, an upstanding citizen, right? An inspiring life coach or figure. It's who was he? What did he do? That's the heart of the matter. Here's what's amazing is, uh, you know, oh, I love the teachings of Jesus. I think that's a great way to live. I'm, I'm all about the way of Jesus. Well, here's the, he taught that he was God. He taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one was coming to the Father except for through him. That's his teaching. It's not just be inspired and, and be a good person and be moral. There's that too. But the, the heart and soul of everything that he sought to, to bring to the equation was his person, truly God and truly man, and his work, his accomplishment for sinners. C.S. Lewis, years ago, just kind of drew a line in the sand. He's like, listen, enough already. Don't patronize me by telling me that you think Jesus was a good man, an inspiring teacher, even maybe a prophet. If that's all he was, then you're misguided. Because this good man claimed to be God. Now, if any one of us here made that claim, would we consider that person a good man? No, we'd consider them a liar or maybe a lunatic. In Jesus' case, he's Lord. He's Lord. He's not only a good man. Yes, inspiring teacher. A prophet, the prophet of all prophets. The prophet, priest, and king. But he is the Son of God. That's the most important piece, John says. And that's my prayer for all of us today. That you see Jesus. When you, when you see Jesus, you see Him not just as an inspiration, but as your only hope in life and death because He's the Son of God that the Father sent to save you from your sins. That's my prayer. Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am am wow you say that uh, you knew abraham you're not even 50 years old jesus is like yeah your father abraham rejoiced to see my day Ooh. and then he says this before abraham was i not i existed not i knew about him but i am ego a me and in that you hear the very burning bush speaking. I am who I am. The Son of God. Hmm. John writes all that he writes in this Gospel for this reason. He sums it up at the end of his Gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these, the, 
the Gospel of John, he says, these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And then he adds, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life. Eternal life. That is my deep longing for all here today. For all who would hear this. Do you see Jesus as the Son of God? Your only hope, your Redeemer, your Creator, your Sustainer, the focal point of your faith. Response this morning, just a few words. I was thinking, you know, when you think about the Son of God, when you think about Jesus, your Savior, there's, there's words that hit you. Trust. Are you trusting Him? And are you treasuring Him? It, would He be the foundation upon, upon which everything in your life is built? Or are you building your foundation on sand? Is He the rock that you trust? When everything goes south and shakes and rumbles and, and foundations begin to fall, who do you look to? Family? They're fading. Money? Can't solve the problems. Only Jesus is the rock, the foundation. Trust Him. But more than that, treasure Him. Treasure Him. Make Him the prized possession of your life. Hmm. And so, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have tasted of your glory once again. We have seen, we have glimpses of majesty in the face of Jesus Christ. We know your love. We know your forgiveness. We know your, your peace. And all of this through the Son, through Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We know you as our Father only because of Him. Who are we to call you Father? Who are we to come into your presence? Who are we to be uh, sons and daughters adopted by you? But by your great love poured out in the gift of Jesus our Savior. Jesus, we give praise to you for your wondrous works. We see your power everywhere. We, we experience your sustaining power in our lives as, as we rise and live and go to bed at night to do it all over again. We see the sun that, that comes up in the east and chases out the dark, and we see you. We long for your return. Oh, Jesus, come. Come again. Take us to Yourself. Put away all the pain and the heartache and the hurt and the tears and the war and the death and the mourning and the crying and the pain. Put it all away, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring us to Your side. And while we wait, Lord, find us faithful. Those who trust You and treasure You. In Jesus' name, Amen.